Well, good evening and welcome to our Gospel Issues Seminar on Christian Concern. And uh, we're delighted that we've got Steve Bigu, our Head of Education, uh, talking about the case for Christ-centred schools uh, tonight. And he's prepared an excellent presentation. Um, and after the presentation, uh, do stay on and join us because we're going to have live Q&A with Steve Bigu and with Andrea Williams as well. Uh, so if you're watching live, um, do type in your questions, comments um, in the um, in the comments box and we can see those and we'll respond to as many questions as we can uh, in the live Q&A um, afterwards. Um, but uh, we're going to play a video now of the talk, uh, lasts about an hour or so, and then we'll come stay on and we'll be, we'll be right back with live Q&A. So without any further ado, over to Steve Bugu on the case for Christ-centred schools. Thank you. Well, welcome to my second Gospel Issues talk, where we'll be looking at the case for Christ-centred schools. My name is Steve Bigu, and I'm the Head of Education here at Christian Concern. And if you're watching this, I'm guessing you might be a parent or a church leader, maybe a teacher, or you're just interested to understand how Christian or Christ-centred a school can be. In bringing this talk to you, the focus today is around schools. And uh, please do have your Bible ready. In my previous Gospel Issues seminar, we explained from the scriptures that there is a God-given mandate to educate from a Christian worldview perspective. And how and why so many of the children of those who call themselves Christians are being lost to the church, 50% of them every generation. And we looked at how this blind spot, this forgetfulness about the importance of Christians discipling children, is such an issue today in our churches. However, we also explained how parents are making bold decisions to home educate and courageous decisions of churches and teachers to even start schools. I encourage you to watch that seminar. Right now, many Christian parents are seeing the damaging relationships and sex education which their children are being given and they're seeing the secularising, sexualising culture predominate in their children's peer groups and in the teaching coming through their schools. And parents who believe their children might be protected in so-called Christian schools are discovering that Jesus Christ is no longer at the centre of the vision or ethos of many of these schools. Now I have colleagues in state schools who are doing incredible work in the state school system. And I salute you. But I use the term Christ-centred in my talk so that we're in no doubt about the distinctive kind of schools which are possible for our children. Schools 
centered on Christ, their vision and mission focused on Christ, such as in the way described in Colossians, which we will use as a lens to look at this issue today. So do pull out your Bibles. Paul, in Colossians 1, says this, in praying for the church, praying for their growth in knowledge and wisdom, educational aims, if you like, and he is speaking powerfully of Christ. Let's go now to those scriptures. Colossians 1, verses 9 to 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, educational aims. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. I'm praying that the knowledge and wisdom of Christ will grow in us today and in our children. And we at Christian Concern are praying this for those of you listening to this today. Why? Because Jesus Christ, the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. There's no classroom subject, no area of work, no learning, no relationship that should not be centred on Jesus Christ. And Paul's goal as he was speaking to the Colossians and our goal today, Colossians 2, 2 to 3, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. 
I want you to be encouraged into Christ and into a rich understanding of how children can be learning from and about Christ to therefore find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is a big view of a Christ-centred education and a Christ-centred school. You know, when I was seven years old, I was filled with the spirit of Christ. I asked in our Saturday Kids workshop, which is run by the church, if I could be filled with the spirit to help me follow Jesus. The teachers there were committed to pray for and to invite children to come to Jesus. And so, as a seven-year-old, as I was prayed for, I can still, still remember it now and remember the feelings of it now. I was filled with a, with a song and a prayer in a language that I had not learned. But I knew I was praising God. And Christ's Holy Spirit had been given to me to fill me. Now, whatever you think of the charismatic, please don't switch off. But the point I want to make is that I had discovered for real, for me, something of what Paul calls the mystery of God. Which has led me from a child into following Jesus Christ the rest of my life. But just after this, when I then went into my school as a year three, my year three state school teacher was enforcing us um, the writing of stories about witches and occultic things at Halloween. And I, I didn't want to do it. It all felt wrong. The teacher really and increasingly didn't like me for, for some reason. Um, and clearly, she came from a different worldview background and I, I suffered in that classroom and in that particular Halloween situation I actually wrote a story about a witch whose spells all went wrong um, and who ended up walking past the church and heard the beautiful singing and went in and gave her life to Jesus Christ. A bit boundary pushing, but God gave me the wisdom by his Holy Spirit as a seven-year-old, which had filled me. Now imagine if I had been encouraged at school five days a week, six hours a day, into my growing relationship with God and his word. Not subtly being discouraged away from the Christian faith or discriminated against because of it. Imagine if I was regularly being invited through prayer and in worship as a child to follow Jesus Christ. And if I was learning about the great truths of the Bible through every year of my education. What foundations of faith that could lay. I feel today it's a bit like me trying to, to show you a pearl of great price today that you might see its worth and make radical decisions because of it.
Christ-centred schools. And so I want to explain 10 things about a Christ-centred school to you. So to help you discern and to help you become more full of the, the riches of complete understanding, as Paul puts it. I believe the Church of Jesus Christ needs to understand and imagine what's possible and have revealed the results of a Christ-centred education. So, up front, here are the ten. A Christ-centred education, a Christ-centred school focuses on God's glory, number one. Number two, focuses and recognises the primary position of parents. Three, only has Christian teachers and leaders. Four, grows character as much as academic gifting. Five, is a smaller family, not a factory-like institution. Six, is founded in the teachings of the Bible. Seven, has a Christ-centred approach to curriculum and pedagogy. Eight, understands a child's relationship to discipleship and mission. Nine, Christ-centred school, it's a battle for revival that's worth fighting. And ten, Christ-centred school has fruitful results. So how long have we got? Well, as Julie Andrews once said, let's start at the beginning. It's a, it's a very good place to start. So number one, Christ-centred school focuses on God's glory. Christ-centred school always implicitly and often explicitly is speaking of God and honouring and glorifying him, not glorifying children through a child-centred approach or glorifying the infallible teachers or the school ethos and not glorifying an unquestioning religious obedience to rules and certainly not glorifying academic results, but Christ-centred school is glorifying, giving glory and honour to Jesus Christ who makes all the good, beautiful, exciting outcomes possible by his grace. Now, if you look at the names of Christ-centred schools, you will often see the King's School, which speaks of whose school this is and who it is for, and that he is the rightful king. The names of the schools are important. Now, education is always for a kingdom and for citizenship and glorification of that kingdom. Trinity School is a common name you'll find up and down the country. The name itself teaching about who God is and glorifying him as Trinity. Emmanuel School is common. It is God who is with us in the name and with us and with our children here in this school. You can very quickly see and 
smell what is glorified in a school environment when you go in and visit. The website, the displays, the messages, the communications, the Stonewall champion mark, the glorifying of GCSE results, the vision statement that glorifies learning, progress, achievement, all as the educational saviour of mankind, which it never can be. Imagine a school where children worship and glorify God through Jesus Christ, together with the staff every day, where the displays and the teaching are seeking to glorify Jesus Christ, always implicitly, often explicitly through the content and the methods. I used to love going in to the King's School Whitney and walking past the art installation by the car park near the entrance. Show a picture of it here. Every child, parent and teacher walking around and under and through all the precious names given to God in scripture, inscribed in large, bold, white letters on bright colours. So that in everything, he might have the supremacy, even in the art outside the school. Glorifying God, a Christ-centred school. Number two, a Christ-centred school recognises the primary position of parents and parents' delegation of a role. There are two people who have been given a unique gifting, anointing, understanding, environment, the home, unique genetic links, and a unique amount of time to train and disciple every human being. This is how God has designed it. Those two people are the biological parents, mum and dad. Now God's grace does break into multiple situations where the, the fallen circumstances of this world mean that this isn't possible having mum and dad. And many of you listening in to this talk will know of the grace of God that is around. But this does not negate the responsibility and authority which God will hold us accountable for as parents, for what we have done with our unique gifting, with the children, his children, which he gives us to steward. Now, a Christ-centred school recognises this and supports parents in this challenging task. Proverbs 1, verses 8 to 9, makes this clear. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They're a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Father and mother's teaching. Ephesians 6, 4, one of the passage, says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Christ-centred education commanded to come from parents. When we stand accountable for what God gave to us, 
Who will he ask about our children? No school can or should aim to take this primary delegated role away from parents. And schools and teachers in Christ-centred schools recognise they only have delegated authority. Delegated from the parents. The best way to disciple, train and lead children to Jesus Christ is by supporting the parents as they take their children to Jesus Christ. We have a, a great example of this in the Gospels. Matthew 19 verse 13 onwards. One day some parents, as in the NLT translation, brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, and he was indignant when he says this, let the children come to me, don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. How cross he was with his disciples, but how happy he is when we work together, disciples, leaders, parents, together with teachers to bring children to Jesus. Imagine teachers praying together with parents at parents' evenings or praying over the phone, really listening to what you're experiencing at home and praying with you. And these schools will often seek to support parents through giving parenting training and providing opportunities to serve and connect to parents so they're within the school community. Many of the schools rely on and welcome parents volunteering during the school day. And this builds a relational community with parents where the children see that the school is not some boxed off Christian activity that I'm sent to, but something my family is committed to because they're here too. As we all seek to follow Jesus Christ, parent and child alike as part of the school community. So often schools hold parents at arm's length and keep them out as much as possible. Leave it to us. We're the professionals. We know what's best for your children. But you love your children like no one else. The genetic and spiritual links you have with your children are designed so you are the best to be shaping your children so they will flourish in life. And Christ-centred schools understand this and they work together with you. One of my greatest privileges has been praying with parents, together with their teenagers, maybe when things have gone wrong. I remember well welcoming the presence of Jesus into the room um, to a repentant and emotional teenage girl with her mother there. I can remember praising God together with parents for incredible academic results or for healings that had happened. This needs on to number three. A Christ-centred school only has Christian teachers and leaders within that school. Teaching is a relational 
process. Often when you were at school, let me suggest to you that you grew to like a specific subject because you grew to like the teacher and you felt they liked you. Relationship. And the opposite is also true. Did the angry or cruel RE or maths teacher put you off the subject? You felt they didn't like you? This is because teaching is a relational process. And through this relationship, knowledge is not the only thing which is passed on. A love for the subject and a love for the person. There's a connection of those two things. Attitudes from a teacher are passed on. Faith is also passed on or unbelief. How your teacher acts as a model to the students who take on these attitudes, this is really important. If teachers are examples of Christians seeking to follow God, they're prayerful, they, they're having the Bible central to their lives, they're seeking to reach out with God's love, telling stories of their own adventures of faith. Guess what? If the, the teachers are like that, this gets passed on to the children, as would cynicism or atheism or transgenderism from teachers who hold these attitudes. Christ-centred schools have a G-O-R, a genuine occupational requirement, a legal discriminatory G-O-R that their teachers must be practising Christians. I don't think you can say your school is a Christ-centred school if the teachers are not Christ-centred. The Christian leadership will pray together through the processes of recruitment and talk to church leaders and getting references. These school salaries are often much less than their equivalent states or certainly independent school salaries and they seek to keep the fees for parents as low as possible. And so these teachers are sacrificial, faith-filled missionaries, really, in the work that they're doing. And God sovereignly, miraculously moves these teachers into position, providing for them and for his Christ-centered schools. I remember once being desperate for a Christian teacher who'd be able to teach secondary history and English. Where am I going to get this, Lord? It's your school. Come on. And nobody was suitably suitable who was applying. And out of the blue, from a committed Christian teacher, I had this CV and letter sent through to me from Puerto Rico, of all places. Dear sir, lovely letter. Um, I'm secondary trained and my subjects are, guess what? History and English. And I'm moving back to the UK. And perfect, miraculous provision just in time from God. Even more last minute was when God solved the secondary physics gap. Physics teachers are hard to find, some of you will know that. And it was at the end of the summer and there was no one. And then one of the new parents who came, was coming on site onto the school, um, they, they said to me, God is speaking to me. And I'm actually a secondary trained as a physics teacher. Um, it turned out they weren't just a physics teacher, secondary trained, they were a doctor of physics who'd actually taught at Harvard. 
When working at the school, she loved praying for and with the children, especially for healing. These special teachers provided by God are praying for the children together in staff meetings and asking the Lord how he wants to reveal himself through their lessons and demonstrating Christ's love to the whole school community. Christ-centred schools are looking for those with a heart of spiritual mums and dads to complement and support the parents. And these schools maintain a broad governing body who also prayerfully centre themselves around Christ. The head is always seen as a key spiritual leader within these schools. And yet, recognising Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together and he is the head. The Christian head teacher or principal recognises their delegated authority and responsibility under Jesus Christ, the head. So that was number three. And what are these Christian teachers and heads focused on? Number four. Well, the Christ-centred school has a focus on character and growing character as much as academic gifting. I mean, what's the use of getting an A star in maths and then using it to swindle people? The morals that come from wanting to please Jesus Christ flow into the teaching in a Christ-centred school. This character development shapes the kind of people Christ-centred schools are leading children to become. Every child is understood as a unique creation, a unique personality. Not a random accident of DNA and chance, but designed with giftings and the character that grows in them will determine how much their gifting will be used to glorify God. These schools reward character development as much as academic progress. So when behaviour issues arise, they're seen as opportunities for training of character. Let's take forgiveness, for example. Christ-centred schools see disobedience or unkindness as sin, something which breaks relationship a result of our fallenness and in all of us, even in teachers. So a quick, sorry, is normally not enough. But doing what is necessary to rebuild relationship and trust between people is what's necessary. And this is as much to be trained even in any victim of poor behaviour. Forgiveness. The foundation of reconciliation is forgiveness and Christ's forgiveness. Remember, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him 
and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. True reconciliation is found with the Holy Spirit helping children and young people to express and mean forgiveness, this foundational Christian character trait. This kind of character training is what Christ-centred schools are aiming at. It's not just looking for unthinking, blind rule following. You know, often the naughty ones are the boundary pushers who have a propensity not to follow the rules. And they are actually the next generation of leaders and pioneers who need to be rightly encouraged into this boundary pushing and encouraged into submitting their character gifting and weakness to Jesus Christ. And in doing this, children are directed into wisdom, a key theme of the scriptures and of Christ-centred schools. Of course, academic development is important. It's a school after all. But learning and achievement are not worshipped and glorified in these schools. And what's found is the children in these schools far exceed the GCSE results of their peers in state schools. God's favour and the smaller classes can make a big difference in the character training and in the academic side. Now, I in no way want to give you the impression that schools like this will be perfect. They can't be. They're made up of people. But this is what the Christ-centred school is aspiring towards in bringing glory to God as they're working with parents. They're seeking to be an extension of the nurturing Christian environment that the home should be and hopefully of the church. Equally, never perfect. But all relying on the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, centred on him and the, the love of Father God and relying together on the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So we come to number five halfway, which I've just begun to allude to. A Christ-centered school is a smaller family, not a factory-like institution. Jesus focused on 12. He did this for a reason. Yes, he taught the crowds, but he discipled 12. When you cram in in huge numbers for cost reasons in big buildings, you create an institution. What is an institution? Well, it's a place where you send people and have something done to them. Large schools easily become education factories. The less like the home they are, the more alien the environments for children. I mean, when in normal life are you crammed together with 30 or more people 
for six hours a day where all of you are born within 12 months of each other. Is a building full of 1,000 plus teenagers moving from different teacher to different teacher every hour, really, is that really what God had in mind for his children to be doing with most of their time? The Christian home educators that I know understand this well and when asked questions like, what about socialisation? Um, are rightly quick to highlight the far more normal social environments with a mix of ages that their children are regularly in. Rarely do their teenagers become the non-communicative with adults, peer-obsessed types. And in the small Christ-centred schools, which are often all through from primary to secondary, a family environment of mums and dads with older and younger siblings, sisters and brothers. That's what's created. A family, not an institution. Do you want your child to come out of a GCSE factory? Which moulds and monitors children on the basis of statistics on spreadsheets, league tables, improvement measures, Ofsted, government targets, often all of this pressurises teachers and heads in schools down a path that leads to stress and misery for all. I personally know some of those pressures and I know the great teachers seeking to stand against that in the work that they do. We are seeing the results of these workhouses on our children's health as a nation. A smaller environment means every child is known. No one's missed. Someone will pick up quickly if you're anxious or look a bit off colour. And teachers actually have time to talk to you, to get to know you, to pray with you. Jesus said, when you pray, say, our Father. A Christ-centred school is a family under a father where everyone is known. Number six. A Christ-centred school is founded on the Bible, aligned to the teachings of the Bible. Little story analogy here. In America, they, they had an issue with banknotes, counterfeit banknotes. Um, they were being mass-produced from different sources, um, these counterfeits, and becoming very difficult for the bank tellers to spot. What they found was they needed some, ex some experts who knew precisely and exactly where the errors were and the imperfections but they couldn't give all this high-level expert training about all the potential flaws to their bank tellers. When they did try to, getting them to focus and spot all these flaws, they still kept missing many of the counterfeits. But what they discovered was this, that if they got the bank workers to study a real note, the genuine notes 
with all the true markings and colours. These tellers could immediately start to see and sense where a note was not right. Nah, that doesn't look right. Even if they could not identify the exact flaw and error. A bit like when you get to know twins well and you can just tell which one is which when looking at them without knowing the precise differences. The traditional teachings of the church from scripture are under threat. The understanding of the whole biblical narrative of creation, of fall, redemption through Jesus Christ and the fulfilment is not understood well by Christians. Oh, to have a school where this is explicitly taught to our children, not just in short RE lessons, but throughout the curriculum. Oh, to have a school where verses of scripture are learnt as memory verses and where songs are used to teach the biblical worldview, where scripture is declaring the truths about Jesus Christ from the walls, from the displays where the practices and policies in that school are shaped by what the Bible says about safeguarding or mental health or handling grievances or teaching geography. Where biblical role models are carefully studied. So children see and experience the authentic, genuine, biblical faith. In Christ-centred schools, they take the time to look at the Bible. The original note, if you like. And then the children can then quickly see and smell the counterfeits that are on offer by the world. If they've been studying and experiencing genuine the life and light which flows from the person who is the Word of God, Jesus Christ, who is known through the Bible. Which leads into number seven. Christ-centred school has a Christ-centred approach to curriculum and pedagogy. Curriculum is a word meaning the course as in a course, a route, which was run by an athlete or a horse. Pedagogy means the understanding of how content is taught by teachers, the methods. In a Christ-centred school, alongside the biblical, spiritual content, more regular curriculum courses will be taught, so children can complete their course. Children will still learn to spell or do GCSE science, but the starting points, the understanding of the subjects, the understanding of the subjects value and purpose all stems from an understanding of God. Remember Colossians 1, 16 following, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things, and listen to this, 
In him all things hold together. And this is true for every subject. For the treasures of wisdom and knowledge to be known, Jesus Christ has to be at the centre. I hope this is coming through. And the way, the pedagogy, the how, which is both in the attitude and the process that the teacher takes, can also be focused around Christ. His hows coming from a Christian worldview. We have time to look at one example. Art. God is an artist. Don't know if you agree. <laughs> it's part of who he is. Just look at creation. Colour, line, the skills to be artistic are all given by God. Christ is described as being intimately involved in creation. As we read, all things have been created through him and for him. He is creative and God says, let us make man, you and me, in our image. Some artwork. And in human beings, the creator, because he is a creator by nature, gives us all creativity as we're made in his image. We can use and develop this creativity to glorify him and to point out fallenness in creation through our art and to stir worship and to practice for the new heavens and the new earth where our creativity will be unconstrained by any fallenness. Wow! Imagine that. Now, I am colourblind. Um, I can do stick men. Yeah, well done me. My teacher, when I was eight, embarrassed me in front of the whole class. This is pedagogy here, saying, you draw like a two-year-old, Steve. With my attempt at a daffodil in pastels, it just wasn't really any good. Now, I wasn't likely to be the next Picasso, really. Christ had placed my giftings elsewhere. But imagine even me learning art in a school where my artwork is set in the context of the creator, the creation, understanding creativity is in me, understanding the redemption and the future new heavens and the new earth and taught by an art teacher who loved me and knew there was creativity sown by God in me. Can you see that the how, the pedagogy and the, the what, the content of the art, can be changed from this kind of Christ-centred worldview perspective? It's true for all the subjects. Christ-centred schools think through their curriculum content, their courses the children will run, and the pedagogy. And subjects are not seen as disjointed bits of learning, unrelated to each other, but are brought together because Christ is at the centre. 
And in this way, all the treasures of the interacting knowledge and understanding which leads to wisdom when submitted to Christ, all these treasures can enrich the one studying so they might glorify God. A Christ-centred school could say, as Paul did, my goal is that they, the children, may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There are a range of approaches that schools use, classical Christian approach, accelerated Christian education, Charlotte Mason style approaches, 21 heart concepts approach with a way truth life model of planning, integrated subject approaches and adapting and redeeming of national curriculum approaches, the what if approach to pedagogy and research that's been done by the work of David Smith. All these things help schools to develop truly Christ-centered schools. There's a variety here. Many schools have a mixture of approaches and some focus more purely on a certain style or method. All of these are being used successfully in different Christ-centered schools. None are perfect schools with perfect approaches, just as none of our churches are perfect, but the aspiration is for a Christ-centred education to be provided through the school and for the curriculum content and pedagogy to support this. That was number seven. So, coming to number eight. Christ-centred school understands a child's relationship to discipleship and mission. Now, often one of the objections people raise to having Christ-centred schools like this is that our children should be trained for mission by the family being in the state school system. I don't deny that this is sometimes the call that God brings to families, and perhaps even seems to be the only choice available to many. There is God's grace for all sorts of situations. However, in this we must understand that our children, especially our young children, are sponges. They're being discipled and shaped by those who spend the most time with them. Children trust those that the parents hand them over to because the parents clearly trust them. So it seems to all my friends' parents. As we have said, education is a relational process and the culture and attitudes and beliefs will be passed on especially to young children. It's discipleship. Think of impressionable or vulnerable teenagers in the valley of decision. Who you live with and learn with matters deeply. Christ-centred schools understand this and Christ-centred schools also have naughty children and rebellious teenagers. There's no holy ghetto there. 
the skills and challenges of mission and discipleship are there in these schools, just that, like they are in your home or possibly your church. But the school environment is filled with those praying for the children, so they might have every chance to become followers of Jesus Christ. There is positive peer pressure due to the majority of Christian families there. Remember, 50% of our children aren't being discipled into following Christ. Why is that? Would you send your child to an Islamic school six hours a day, five days a week, and expect them not to be shaped by that? What do we believe about a secular education system? That it's neutral? There are many ways to be involved in the local community as a Christian family. Many ways. The school gate is only one of those places. And influence into state schools by Christians can take many creative, creative and varied forms. Children who will become the best cultural missionaries with the best foundations to be the servant leaders for the future revival, I believe will be those who have strong foundations laid by parents and teachers. Gardeners understand that the greenhouse a place where plants' roots can become strong, protected from the environmental conditions. Greenhouses are needed for many plants to really flourish and become fruitful. Do our children need a greenhouse? Christ-centred schools do all sorts of activities where they engage with the community. They will train them. For mission, mission into the workplaces that they will eventually go into, as they learn to understand that no subject or work is outside of Christ's reign. And also through service projects, carol singing in old people's homes, mission trips abroad. At the King's School Whitney, where I was principal, over a week we would take all the secondary school to work with a charity called The Beesome, where we did various DIY SOS type service projects for struggling families. And many people who were in desperate situations, who were in the local area, clearing gardens, painting rooms, blessing disabled people, often stopping people from being evicted because of the work we'd done. All part of our following Christ not just being nice. And of course, Christ-centred schools are places where the gospel is explained and understood and children and young people learn how to explain it and effectively discuss and communicate the truth claims of Jesus Christ in today's culture. I encourage you to watch the previous Gospel Issues talk where we discuss the Great Commission we have been given to make disciples and where children and teaching fit into that.
Christ-centred schools understand discipleship and mission. Penultimate one, number nine, Christ-centred schools. It's a battle worth fighting, it's a battle for revival. Because our children are so important for the passing on of our Christian faith, there is a spiritual, educational, theological, financial battle always at play. I believe Christ-centred schools up and down this nation are part of the seedbed of revival. Young men and women being trained to become the Christian servant leaders of the next generation. Missionaries into our post-Christian culture here and all over the world, especially to unreached people groups in the UK and beyond in which they will maybe even start schools as well as plant churches. Christ-centred schools have been at the forefront of a battle. The church has often not understood this, but there is an awakening. Is there a call on your church, your community, a call to you to be someone who engages in this battle for something so precious and so powerful, a Christ-centred school. It's a battle worth fighting for, because our children are worth fighting for. Finally, number 10, a Christ-centred school has fruitful results. Wonderful fruit from these greenhouses. <laughs> Remember what we read in Colossians, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. The research on both Christian home education and recently the Christian schools trust schools show that 80 to 90% of the children who have had a Christ-centered education remain as those who hold Jesus Christ as their personal saviour and into their 30s and 40s still hold to traditional biblical beliefs on issues such as relationships, creation, salvation. Not the 50% drop-off because of the post-Christian culture taking hold in the minds of children. The academic results are astounding, especially as shown through GCSE results. These schools are normally the non-selective on academic ability, yet in results are on a par with the local independent schools that often are selective. The academic results for pupils that have special educational needs or disabilities are also incredible. It's because they're Christ. Centered. There is a pandemic at the moment and it's affecting our children. It's a pandemic of mental health issues. It is a fruit. Christians rightly believe that there is a strong link between spiritual well-being and mental health. 
The Prince's Trust completed through a um, whole period of time some really thorough research on 18 to 25 year olds across the UK um, in 2018 and at the same time detailed research findings on past pupils from what are called the, the new independent Christian schools movement um, from similar age range the results of that were coming through and on the key beliefs that affect mental health the conclusions could not have been clearer you see it in this slide the main example of this was that of the UK-wide survey of thousands of 18 to 25-year-olds, 27% across the country disagreed with the statement, life has a sense of purpose. Even more starkly, 18% in the Prince's Trust survey of all children across the nation 18% disagreed with the statement, life is worth living. Nearly one in five think life isn't worth living. Whereas 99% of the past pupils of Christ-centred schools felt life was worth living. The past pupils were 18 times less likely to think life was not worth living. Despair, self-harm and suicide are natural endpoints to these negative beliefs. Whereas flourishing, fruitful, purposeful lives is the result of a sense of purpose under God. Through a saving faith in Jesus Christ. A Christ-centred life. Wonderfully, in just the last year, I'm now talking to 13 different groups, new groups up and down the country who are looking to start their own independent Christ-centred schools from Scotland to Devon. Often church leaders being called by Christ into this. Is there a call on your life? to be involved in a Christ-centred school with fruit like this. So, as we come to the end, in summary, we've sought to use Colossians 1 and 2 as an initial biblical par paradigm to then explore the 10 things that you should know about Christ-centred schools. So we've said a Christ-centred school is focused on God's glory, recognises the primary position of parents and their delegation, has Christian teachers and leaders. It's a focus on character, growing character as much as academic gifting. Is a smaller family, not factory-like institution. It's founded on the teachings of the Bible. Has a Christ-centred approach to curriculum and pedagogy. It understands the child's relationship to discipleship and mission. Christ-centred school, it's, it's a battle for revival. It's a battle worth fighting for. Christ-centred school has 
wonderful, fruitful results. Paul's goal and mine were similar today. My goal is that they may be encouraged in hearts and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If we had more Christ-centered schools up and down this nation, wow, what treasures and pearls would we have and would our children enjoy? Fantastic. Well, I think that was a great, very inspiring talk there. Um, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, listen, we've got uh, Steve Bigu um, and Andrea Williams in the background now that can be brought on. And uh, we can, we've had a few questions uh, coming through um, on uh, on Facebook and YouTube. Hi, Steve. Well done. Great. Right. Hi, Tim. How are you doing? Great. Yeah, good. Hi, Andrea. Hi there. So, Steve, you presented a really good case there um, for Christ in the Schools and, and uh, the 10 points, uh, really, really helpful. We had a question that sort of came through, I think, probably before people had actually seen your full talk. Um, that, um, But it's a, it's a classic question, isn't it? Like, you know, is it really helpful to ghettoise children in, into a particular you know, type of culture, religious ghetto um, kind of thing and you know aren't you actually damaging community by isolating these children into Christian ghettos and and might you inoculate them against the gospel actually um, if you do so and aren't you sort of avoiding the call to be salt and light in society and so on I mean, so how do you answer those kind of you know criticisms that people make of of Christian schools in that kind of way yeah sure well it's it's a very understandable question um and I have, a, I have a lot of sympathy with that kind of concern of ghettoized Christians in their own little subcultures hiding away, mm. because that's exactly what I used to think. <laughs> so I'm t I totally understand that. Um, and I know that the Christian school where I was the principal for for eight years um, was made up of teachers and governors and parents who pretty much to a man all thought that as well. <laughs> so right. um, we're all kind of converts from, from that kind of idea of right. um, fearing this Christian ghetto. I think what, what each one of us saw was that what what we would been, had been entrusted to us was the, the bringing up of our children so that we might be able to encourage them to follow Jesus Christ. And um, that that was a really high priority to us. And what we were starting to see and what many people have started to see is that by sending your children just to the local school, you're actually sending them to a, a different sort of um, environment, different ghetto, if you like, where they're being ghettoized into a secular understanding of, of the world. And they're being converted into a an understanding of the world that hasn't got God anywhere near the centre of it. Um, and so you've got to make a decision about who you want your children to be with and where you would like them to be educated, where you have the opportunity to make that kind of decision. Yeah. And um, so this this fear of a ghetto, I think it comes from this this fear that they'll become these strange, radical extremist people that won't really be able to blend in with the rest of society. Well, all of the research on the, the new independent Christian schools, which has been, been a lot recently, has demonstrated that they are the best citizens of society. They're the ones that have mm -hmm. the, the least um, amount of 
racist attitudes, for example. They're the ones that really want to get involved and uh, to give of themselves and uh, to bless communities. And um, they haven't become these people that just hide away from society. In fact, what they've be become is disciples of Jesus Christ um, and really solid, sound disciples of Jesus Christ who are secure in saying, Jesus Christ is my saviour and I'm a mm. Christian and mm. I want to change the world and to disciple others. This is what I mean, these I, I, become. I felt like that way. I felt the same. I think I felt the same. I thought, no, we've got to um, be in the mix. And I had a kind of, I, I hadn't particularly voiced it. This is sort of, I'm talking about the early 90s. I sort of had that prejudice against the idea that you would ghettoise your children into um, into a, a solely Christian school environment. And then, um, surprisingly, when our first child was born, my husband was posted across to the United States. And there I got exposed to um, Christian education. Right. And attached to our church was this school. Um, and it was the most amazing place. And I remember seeing these children literally skipping through the doors. And there was an archway that said, God made the world. And I, was, and I remember thinking, what an incredible thing that these children are going in every day under an archway, under a banner that says God made the world. And it began to really change how I thought about education and how I thought about how we do education and what we're doing. And coming back, and certainly as the decades, the years have gone on since then, our children are now taught the opposite. God definitely didn't make the world. Um, we are they're, they're taught a another kind of religion in our state um, in our state education. And I think as Christian parents, we have to consider where what where what do we want our children to learn day in day out. I mean, I often tell this story. That's because it's my story, but. Uh, for, uh, for my Sunday school teacher told me all about Jesus and I fell in love with Jesus there and then. Mm. Now, imagine our children aged four and five going to school today and being told that they can be male or female. Being, and actually we've got a number of cases where primary school children are identifying in the opposite gender and the school are promoting and endorsing that age even in this last week aged aged seven now it's not just that one child in one school and no i'm going to a, a, a one example here but it's the hundreds and this is a school where there are several hundred children um, in the school are being taught that that's also the truth I think in such a world, we need to be witnessing to those places. But as parents and guardians of our children, we need to be teaching our children that they are indeed, that God did indeed make the world and that they're made in the image of God with a beautiful plan and a beautiful purpose. And we want to protect them and raise them in the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And with such a heart and with such a raising, they will have a heart and a passion uh, for the rest of society. So so what about this point about being salt and light, though, Steve? Because are you saying, you know, no Christian should ever go to state schools? No, no Christian should teach in state schools. We should leave them. They've gone so far. 
that there's no point in any Christians being involved. Just separate yourself from the world and just create Christian societies and Christian families and Christian schools and Christian banks and Christian shops. And what are you saying? Is that what you're saying? So I worked for 17 years in state schools, um, primary, special schools. Um, and I knew it was God's call on my life to be salt and light by being a teacher in those right. schools for those 17 right. years. Extremely important for me to do so. That was God's call on my life. And it is a call on many people's lives up and down this country. There are hundreds, thousands of Christians involved in schools. And so they should be, and they must be, and they must be influencers. Mm. Um, this question is about our children and how they're growing up, how they're being trained and what they will become because of that, because of these key crucial years when they are these sponges who are just soaking up what it, what is going on around them. Um, that's what we're talking about here. And so what will happen, of course, if you train up your children in the way they should go and when they're old, they don't turn from it, they will become the disciples that also are the fantastic Christian bankers and who are the fantastic Chris Christian hospital workers um, mm -hmm. and the fantastic followers of Jesus in every area of society. So far right. from being a, a hiding from society, this is a way that we re-evangelize and reform society by having Christian schools where we're training up our children so that they're not falling away in droves from the Christian faith as they are at the moment by us just carrying on believing that uh, we, you know, we send our children to the state school um, yeah. and we just think that somehow, you know, thinking that somehow uh, an hour or something of, of, of life in the church on a Sunday will um, somehow deprogram them from the whole week, from the whole um, influx of influence that they get from the world. I'm, I'm, I'm increasingly passionate to protect our children uh, in this environment and help and, and actually help them to have the tools to live in this world. I'm passionate about seeing some kind of reformation and revival amongst our children. Um, and we can do that if we 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 know we know our children we will see others come we will see others wanting to come to these schools for sure well and perhaps you like to tell the story of um is it izzy the child who got it you know got into trouble for could it, you know being upset about lgbt lessons and stuff and we've had to move schools for her isn't that right yes casey um casey, she did participate yeah. in a in, in a pride event um yeah. and I mean, such was the situation with her. She she was uh, 10, um, 10 at the time. But can you imagine that she was um, suspended? I mean, I don't even know if it's possible to play her three-minute video because it's quite provoking. But the the she was suspended. At, she, well, first of all, she was held in isolation for, for several hours um, when, when she refused to, to participate. Then she was sent home and suspended for a number of days. Her mother was visited by the social services and the police uh, because she was held to be discriminated. She was being told she was being discriminatory. It was really quite extreme. This school um, is um, known. It's no known to be a, um, a, a, a school that is um, promotes um, so an LGBTQ um, ideology, um, but as a result of that, when she when she tried, she really wanted to go back to the school. But when she went back to the school, um, she was really stonewalled by the children um, that were there. I, and she says they were told 
not to talk to her. We ended up safe schooling her. And she also had a lovely friend as well. She was previously a star pupil, but wasn't she as well? So, you yeah. know, but, but this kind of says, Steve, you were trying to get in on this point as well. Uh, yeah, well, I think one of the things I would I would say, just coming back to the point of the fact that 50% of our children aren't following Jesus Christ for a reason. And the kinds of things that you're hearing going on in, in that case and many cases demonstrates yeah. that there are people who are actively teaching and speaking against the traditional views of Christianity and against Jesus Christ himself within the yeah. schools. And this yeah. has an impact on our children and parents need to be involved. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying... There, there is this option available for everyone. I would like there to be a lot more Christian schools up and down this country. So there are a lot more options for Christians up and down the country yeah. to be able to do this. And so in those circumstances, do get, get involved. Support your Christian teacher in your school who's probably trying to stand against some of this stuff. Support your Christian head teacher who may be trying to stand against their multi-academy trust who are trying to bring these kind of things in. Support yeah. by being a governor or support the Christian governor who is in there yeah. or support the great vicar who is trying to also stand against some of this this kind of stuff. Sadly, in, in many, Christ, this is why I use the term Christ-centred rather than Christian. So many Christian schools, though, have that in their name, but are really yeah. steering totally away from yeah. the Christian faith and these traditional value, traditional yeah. beliefs and that we had, understand. Um, obviously, that, that brings a lot of our cases. The uh, vicar had to resign from being governor over... Um, Trans ideology going into the school, and it was a Church of England school, and the bishop, who's now the Archbishop of York, he was then the Bishop of Chelmsford didn't stand with him, quite the opposite. Right. Um, he was being punished. And right. in fact, you find a lot of Christian teachers, if they raise their voice, they find themselves mm. in trouble or um, censored. It's a key battleground, isn't it, Eddie? A lot of our cases yeah. are teachers or school workers of yeah. some kind or other who've got into trouble for expressing That's their it. Christian faith. It's a really key battleground. Let me ask you a similar question, um, Steve. Lizzie Harewood on Facebook. It's actually two questions, I think. Um, should setting up Christ-centred schools take the place of attempting to reassert or promote Christian values in state schools? Okay, that was question one. And question two, if we create more Christian schools, will this endanger the current requirement for daily collective worship, which should be, in the main, Christian? Great question, Lizzie. Um, we must reassert Christian values in all state schools as well. <laughs> it's good, definitely a, a both and here with this. We we must do that. We must say Jesus Christ matters. What Jesus Christ has taught us matters and should be considered as important in every school, in fact, in every part of society. So definitely we must still be doing that. But there is also this call on us to create more Christian schools. I don't think if we're all responding to God as we should, that by starting Christian schools off will somehow be damaging that ability for us to still influence Christian state schools. Um, I guess there's kind of capacity question there, but I certainly don't think it would, it's going to be one of the main arguments used to say that collective worship, daily Christian collective worship should be removed from schools. That is, that law now is that there should be daily Christian collective worship. But there isn't. I mean, the truth is that there isn't in any event. There really isn't. It's there, but there really isn't. We're clinging on to we're clinging on to something that isn't really there. I mean, I'm glad that it's there in theory. I'm glad that it's there um, on the rule book, but essentially it's not occurring. And I think that we, um, I mean, quite the opposite and people deride it often on the ground. What we, and what we want and what we're looking for. Um, if, we, if we show what a school can really be, 
if we can show what a really wholesome, actually, yes, a wholesome, moral, amazing Christian education can be, where we care desperately about the characters of our children and their morality, when we're not actually teaching them immorality, when, then, when we're not teaching them how to sin, when we're not opening their minds to things that they're far too young to be thinking about. Why is it that we are so concerned in state education with giving sex education and relationships education to our children going right down to the age of four? Right. Why, are we, why are we concerned with that in the state education? Why is that all pervading across the subjects? But in fact, we have um, so many beautiful things to teach our children in terms of building their characters, building the joy of the Lord in them, helping them to understand who they were created to be. Imagine children growing up in that way. But, but just to answer the question that was asked about whether starting Christian schools will have a negative impact on whether collective worship continues or not, yeah. the, point, the point is that's already got many factors that are causing that to degrade. Yes. And there's a bill in Parliament at the moment that say, that's stating we need to remove this law. Starting Christian schools is certainly not going to make a huge difference to whether or not collective worship is shifted or not. If we want to argue on, on that case, there's other things that we need to argue about. Well, I, correct. But I also think if people see how good the Christian schools are and that they are proliferating, uh, I think it will actually help the argument. I think in keeping collective yeah, worship. Really? Yeah, good point. Good point. Well, I mean, yeah. And which actually, Steve, you've seen interest from non-Christians in, in attending Christian schools, haven't you? For, you know, you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, they, the people are often... I mean, what I would say to anybody who's kind of asking questions around all this, go and visit one. Get yourself across the threshold and visit them. For example, the King's School Whitney's got an open day Saturday, the 2nd of October. I just happen to know. So if, you, if you're interested and you're in the Oxfordshire area, you can get yourself along to the open day on Saturday, the 2nd of October, 1030. Um, and you can actually go in and experience it and kind of ask any question you like. That's why they these schools have these open days. And if you look on, on the we, we put the links in there for all these other Christian schools, they'll be having open days at various points. Get yourself across the threshold. Find out what these schools are like. Ask those questions and then decide for yourself, are these negative Christian ghettos that are really hiding people away from society and doing something bad for the community or not? And non-Christians come along as well? And the non-Christians come along because they often come along to these kind of things. They say, I don't really get all this Christian stuff, but something is moving inside of me to, to really want my child to come to your school. You kind of get morals. And I love the family atmosphere, the way it's not just hundreds all crowded into the same spaces and there's something beautiful about what you're doing and um we say you do realize we're discipling your children to follow jesus christ don't you and they say well kind of and yes we'll kind of go with that and um by by far the, the majority of the children in these schools tend to be from christian backgrounds from christian homes but there are many people that join in that end up catching another witness so uh let me go to another question um steve dave dixon from youtube um, how much say does the government have in a private Christian school curriculum of what needs to be taught and what can't be taught? In brackets, from a Scottish perspective, impossible. Start. Why don't we start with the England and Wales perspective? You got that, Steve? Well, a UK nationwide perspective would be that the way that the government monitors these things is through inspection. Right. Um, so there's a, there's a huge amount of freedom for what schools uh, teach in terms of curriculum you don't have to teach even the national curriculum if you can prove that the curriculum that you're teaching is going to be fantastic because you've demonstrated that it is and you've shown the inspectors mm -hmm. and Ofsted mm -hmm. and whoever 
this is what we're going to be teaching. It's going to be training children beautifully for being a part of um, British society and going to be life in modern Britain. Then you can, you've got a huge amount of freedoms to still be able to teach from a Christian worldview perspective in schools up and down the country. So there, there isn't, I wouldn't say, a strong hindrance challenge there. There is a challenge with inspector, inspections and inspectors, though. They can come with an agenda and they, there can be real issues around how those things occur. And we're, we're also trying to kind of push back on some of the powers of Ofsted and some of the negative ways in which inspections have been used to bash independent Christian schools or other faith schools, for that, mm -hmm. for that matter, especially on the LGBT side of things so we, we've got to learn how to how to speak well about what it is that we are doing we've also got to know what the freedoms are still in law because you don't have to teach anything to do with lgbt issues to primary school age children even in the state school and people don't even realize that so um mm -hmm. I, 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 yeah that answers the question not okay listen i'm conscious of time steve i'll give you two more questions um one is um from ilanda Sarafim. is it i hope i pronounced that right on facebook um since there are not enough Christian schools, can reflect on homeschooling as an option and the opportunities and challenges it presents. Do you want to just say something about that? Yes, is the answer to that. I think many <laughs> Christians up and down the country, seeing what they're seeing, waking up to what's going on in school, are saying we need to home educate our children. We need to protect our children, not just protect them, but we need to train them so that yeah. they're, they're going to be um, children who are followers of Jesus Christ. And, and I think home education is absolutely one of the options that is there for, for many people to, to really grasp a hold of. I've got, again, with a Christian concern and, and with the work that I'm doing, I'm connected with lots of home educators and groups of home educators who are creating hubs and communities of home educators who are, who are doing this really, really well. And some of those people are the people that are then thinking maybe we should start a school as well. So that there's, a, there's a real overlap between this kind of work. So, yes, really important. And um, so a final question then. Terry Spring on Facebook, what help is available? To set up a Christian school, maybe you'd like to talk about what as well. People are asking, what you know, tell us about these new schools that are setting up. But what help is available for people who do want or are thinking or feeling called to set up a Christian school? Yeah, it's somewhere between thirteen and fifteen different groups up and down the country, from from Dundee to Devon, and another one in Gloucester that I was getting in contact with today. Um, many people are asking this question, and what I'm doing is I'm gathering them together in different groups so that we can talk together about what the next steps are. Once you once you feel a call of this, um, you kind of get a sense of vision and there's often leading figures who get that vision. And then you just need to keep speaking out that vision and say, say, say what you see, like um, Roy Walker used to say on catchphrase, say what it is that you're seeing. Keep speaking about it. And what will happen is you gather people around what you're saying, because if um, if this is if this is right and God is stirring it, people's hearts will start to be waking up to this and then you'll gather a team of people who can lead and pioneer and take those mm -hmm. next steps mm -hmm. and again church leaders are waking up to this and if you can get church leaders on board heads of church communities then that will that will really help you as you gather people and then you can have meetings i can support you in those meetings we can work through all those practical things eventually you'll get to a stage of thinking about having a building having staffing um, and then get yourself registered. The thing about churches very often, though, is that they've often got buildings or can get access to buildings, and right. they've also very often got teachers or right. people that can assist in teaching. Um, and so, if suddenly all of these things become possible, they don't have to seem like these huge, insurmountable um, right. objects. It's, it's, you know, you need a room. I mean, the story of Vicky Allen down in Devon. Is that they start with they start with a little nursery school um, that they they were working in. They basically buy that, and when they 
when the upper end of the nursery school, when they see that the child is going to move into year uh, reception year, why don't we keep our children in this little Christian nursery school so they start reception year one, year two, and and so it grows. You don't always have to see the end from the end from the beginning. I mean, there is, of course, there is a setup process at Christian Legal Centre, Christian Concern. Uh, with Steve, we can help on those sorts of things. You don't have to see the end from the beginning, but the potential out there for uh, with all the buildings that we have and all the human resources that we have means that this is really possible. I think as one of the, as Graham, that is the funny name here, it's Graham the Graham the Jury, Lord Ha Ha. <laughs> A funny name there on, uh, on Facebook. But the point is, he's been saying we should be lighting fires. Uh, we should be starting the fires up and down the country. And that's what Christian schools can do, isn't it, Steve? Absolutely right. And we need more of them. And maybe some people on this call today have been stirred to ask that question and to think, actually, maybe I need to be involved in supporting or maybe even starting um, a new independent Christian school. If you've been challenged about home education as well, take that challenge, take it back to the Lord. Uh, whatever he's challenging you about, whatever questions are being stirred, I can see some other things come, coming through here. Take it back to the Lord and say, Lord, what, what are you saying in this? Is there any angle on this that I've, I've not seen yet in this whole area of training up our children? Fantastic. Steve, how do they get in touch with you? Email me at steve.begu at christianconcern.com. Fantastic. Yeah. Listen, that was a great talk, um, Steve, and great discussion afterwards as well. Thank you so much. Really encouraging to hear as well about the new schools being set up and the impact that they're making and the vision that people are having uh, for this. I think it is um, the, the beginnings of the start of revival in the end um, for the next generation. Why not? Uh, um, so, you know, that's it's very exciting and, and great to see. And that's exactly what we need. Christian young people who are unashamed and confident in their faith and, and will just carry it and take it out into the world as well. Yeah. Thank you very much. And thank you for watching today. It's been great to have you. I hope you found that really helpful. Do share it. Pass it on, um, show it to other people, take it to your church. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you again very soon, um, Friday lunchtime for a live stream as well. Thank you.